But if you think intentionally, you're building and telling yourself a story about your kids that becomes reality. It becomes this sort of like, you're going to act in that way. That was Dr. Jason Frischman. I'm Rich Bolas, and this is the Dad Mindset Show. This episode, we have psychologist Dr. Jason Frischman back on the show to expand on the work he does with narrative therapy and to give us some more ideas for connecting with our kids. Jason and I also get into the weeds with there being way more in common with each other than we might think. Anyway, I hope you really enjoy this chat with Dr. Jason Frischman. Dr. Jason Frischman, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I am, you know, after our first conversation, I have been looking forward to this since then. So absolutely, <laughs> I'm glad to, glad, glad to be back. <laughs> it's It's been a little while, hasn't it? I mean, we've had Christmas since then. How, how are your holidays? Holidays were, were, were wonderful, actually. I'm generally someone who does not um, I don't work for the weekends. I don't live for the holidays. I, I really, that's something that goes against so much of the way I like to live. That being said, we all took off. We didn't, you know, over schedule or over complicate. We had lots of many hours of just cooking and being together and reading on the couch and lots of intentional time, just being the four of us and, um, additional intentional time being with friends and family. And I, I don't know if I shared this, our, our first conversation, but our new year's tradition is one that's over 20 years old with five different fam or f- including us five different families. And so I left the holiday season with recharge and nourishment that I, I, I think is incredibly special. I really, I come off it very happy to get into the year. <laughs> what, what, what's the tradition if you don't mind sharing? It started in 19, uh, we'll say the early 90s, probably 1991 or 1992. And it was back then, it was a bunch of my guy friends and we would get together and we'd uh, follow a particular band while they were on tour for New Year's. And we'd go to a bunch of concerts and like be in different cities and kind of be together and, and have crazy adventures. But then we got older <laughs> and we got girlfriends or, or partners and boyfriends. And, you know, we um, it turned into over the years what it is now, which is as a group, there's been there's five men and our partners and kids. There's now 11 kids and 10 adults. And we rent a house every year, anywhere from three to five days. And we just spend time together. Like, you know, we don't all live in the same area. Some of these families I only see once a year, but it's once a year for three to five really intimate, close moments. The way I like to say it is lots of people celebrate New Year's by that countdown, you know, 10 to zero and yay. We take that 10 seconds of New Year's and spread it over three to five days. So Every meal is intentional. We go for walks. There's time when people, we all play games, but if someone wants to go off and read a book, they can do that. And the kids have all done it since they were born. Many of the women were pregnant during these things and they're like, you know, extended family or cousins. And as men, we're like, oh my goodness, we get to do this. And and I have this tight group of male friends that I've been together with for 20 plus years and we sort of recognize how special and unique that is. So much to the point when we when we were single, we used to joke that if we met a woman or a partner who had their own New Year's tradition, it was a deal breaker. We were going to, you know, <laughs> like, this is what we do. 
but it's become a really meaningful time for all of us. Yeah, I love it. And I imagine the kids just slot right into it, don't they? You know, even to the extent of looking forward to it each year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we skipped one year because of the pandemic and the kids were just as upset as the fathers and the and the parents. It becomes in many ways a holiday in the truest sense. Like we're with family, like the, these kids are almost like cousins. The majority of the kids only see each other this one time a year. And this year we were noticing, you know, oftentimes when kids get together after not seeing each other, there's that weird awkwardness and then they get comfortable. Just like that. You know, the moment we we all showed up that, you know, they gave each other hugs and they were off running and, and playing. And it was amazing. I would say a portion of the time where adults just going, oh, my gosh, look at our kids. Look at look at how amazing this is. The routines and the rituals that we have throughout this, like the kids put together a charcuterie snack appetizer board each evening for cocktail hour. And so they make that for everyone and they bring it into the living room. And then, um, you know, there's just like things that we do every year that the kids look forward to. Like when we have emails that are like planning the meals, you know, you'll have a kid jump on and be like, you know, we got to make sure we do the pizza this year. We got to have pizza. Like, <laughs> That's so good. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's really lovely. Um, and I mean, you talk so much about rituals and, you know, routines and rhythms uh, on our last chat, I mean that—that's like the epitome of of this sort of ritual that you guys have created. It's very much the the like so much of journeyman and the work I do is lived work, and it is lived experience and and, and discoveries. The experiences that I have over New Year's have informed some of the activities in the journeyman group, right? There, there's been these lovely crossovers between life experience and what I share and teach men and and so yeah absolutely the the ritualizing of what we do and how we do it has become so organic and so natural rather than being forced one year years ago i tried to force something i said hey before meals let's try this and you know a lot of the guys who are not in the same vein they're very different than i am in some ways they were all like yeah we're, we're, we're not going to do that we're, you know. <laughs> but over the years it naturally came into like, as we all sat down, people would like do toasting and that was, this, it got to the same thing, but it would became more natural rather than me forcing it. And then learning that and saying, okay, cool. How do I do that with, with fathers and with men in groups? How do we naturally create rituals? And that's became the routines, rhythms, rituals sort of module. And that's, that's sort of how it, how it came about. Yeah, what what I think is really great about that, Jason, is the fact that it's an extended period of time as well. So it's not like cramming it into an evening when you go for dinner with friends. It, spreading it over three days, because I think three or four days is almost like the the minimum viable product for actually recuperating. Like, and to actually defizz, I don't think you can do it in in a day, and maybe not in two days, unless you really, you know, sort of. Uh, uh, you, you've got to be hitting well above average to do that. But to spread it over three yes. to five days is magic. Like that's a time when you can really sink into it. And, you know, like you say, opt in, opt out, read a book. There's no expectations. I think that's a brilliant framework and, and sort of environment to set up for actual relaxation that we don't afford ourselves throughout the rest of the year. No, and it's actually funny when you said like, you know, the minimal viable product is three to five days and it can't be done in one day. I almost interrupted because it absolutely can't 
because of the way we handle our everyday lives. And I talk to people about what are the smallest unit of value or the smallest unit of relaxation? Like, is there a way you can do it every day for a little bit? And right now, truly, the way most people live, the answer is no. And like, it's ridiculous of me even to ask. But the truth of the matter is, if we start to really live this, then 10 minutes at the end of your workday, with intention and with a, a real sort of compass around what you're doing, can be rejuvenating. It's not the same as having a week off, of course not. But it's similar to like we talked about the ways of connecting with kids at the last team meeting. You know, the truth is we often think that we have to connect in a huge way. But if we connect a little bit every day, that's much more powerful. So just the same way, I'd love, you know, three to five days, man, if I could do that every three months, it would be lovely. And I am not against vacations. I think they're awesome. But if we did things little by little every day, there'd be less of a need, capital N need for this replenishment, renourishment. So it's a little bit of both. But yes, you know, extending things over a period of time is in many ways a foundational idea because if I'm a father, I'm a father for life, right? And so these momentary issues or whatever, if I can have the perspective, I can think long-term. Same thing with friendships, same thing with like relationships, same things with New Year's and moving from 10 seconds to three or five days. Like anytime we can slow and lengthen a process that we're a part of, we're going to be more successful. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the the point you made at the start there, Jason, was something that I picked up from a previous chat and, and actually started practicing was at the end of the workday, I, I tried your idea of trying to build a process of becoming wonderful. And, and I literally started stopping at the front door because it was a you know, sunny day. And, and, I, and I did the inventory that you mentioned about going over the five senses because I could actually feel the warmth of the garage wall as I walked past it. And I, it just sort of stopped, pulled oh, me up. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a, I've just sensed like that radiant heat. And that's really it feels lovely. And then I looked up at the blue sky and I saw the clouds sort of just coasting across. And then I could, I could hear the branch of the tree just wiping against the wall, making a, a, a scraping sound. I could hear the birds chirping. And, and all of a sudden, I, I actually started sensing other things as well, you know, hearing other things that I wasn't even paying attention to. And then I tried to sort of feel my feet sort of grip the ground and, and even like listen for my heartbeat. And so I went through a full sort of inventory of what can I smell? What can I hear? What can I see? What can I feel? And then I sort of dug into, ah, oh, those clouds are awesome. And I just, I got curious about the clouds. And and I can't remember the last time doing this. And so, you know, and then I was just like, and the, the final step being grateful. And I was just like, how nice Whoa. is it to be able to stand here outside the house after a day's work and just take this moment for me to really be grateful for all this amazing stuff around me. And it just calm me right down and put me in such a good frame of mood. And I, and, and I sort of then decided, like, how do I want to be when I walk through the door? And and so, uh, yeah, I want to be full of energy, full of enthusiasm for how the kids have gone today and how Sarah's gone. And I stepped through the door and it was it was like a different me. And I, I loved it. And it it was it was really great. And and so I've been doing it quite a bit. And I'm sure the neighbors think I'm a weirdo because they'll see me like just stand about five feet out of the door and looking up at the sky and stuff like this. But, but I don't care because it's it's so good. So, so thank you, Jason. That was such a good piece of advice. 
You know, I have to tell you, it, it, what's so cool about that story is the the moment when men get home from work, either like, you know, right now I work in the house, so it's me going upstairs or getting home in the car, whatever it is, is that moment is actually a space that I hear a lot from guys. And I've given the homework of like, when you get home, I actually want you to go to the door and look in first before you get home. That way it stops you. It makes you pause. It makes you think about how do I want to enter? It also makes you think about what's going on in there. Because even if we're aware of how we want to enter the home, we might get in and those are our expectations. And now it's a shit show. And like, <laughs> I'm not getting what I wanted. I, I, I'm not giving you happiness. What yeah. you know? And so taking the time to, 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 to look inside and, and, and really like, merger worlds is actually one of the things that I ask a lot of my guys to do. And the fact that it came upon natural for you with this wonderful exercises is, is amazing. I love that. Uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. That's cool. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's great. I'm going to keep that, that up. And I think from the other thing as well, because you've obviously, you've got the, the downloadable list of the fastest ways dads can connect with their kids. And, you know, we went through some of the ones last time, like you mentioned yum, bedtime saying, lunchbox, uh, love notes and stuff. But what are, what are some of your other favorites? Because they're gold. Mm. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, it's funny. I, I was... I shared this with someone else yesterday, so I've, I've been looking through it and it's a little bit newer on my mind. And so the two that struck me, because to be very transparent, I have fallen from doing and, and I've started again this week. But the other is one that I don't think about very often because it's become so internalized. It's become such a part of our experience. So that one is about a secret handshake. I have almost all my guys, I ask them, like, you know, make a secret handshake with your kids, like, make it quick, make it subtle, make it, you know, you can do it quietly, whatever, and create it, practice it. And then, you know, once a day, for a little while, just do it, see what happens, right? And ours is one that is, you know, it's not very complicated, it's very simple. But the best part about it is it can be done if we are on opposite sides of the room. <laughs> because it just is a visual thing like basically it's secret so don't tell anyone but when we give when we shake we basically give our hands and we tickle each other's palms and then a slap that's it so from across the room i can wiggle my fingers as if i'm tickling his palm and then i can move my hand like i'm giving a slap and he does it from across the room right and this has gone on you know for years and years and years and it's come to mean i love you Right. So we're in a car trip and we get we all get into an argument and things are rough. I can reach behind and I can wiggle my fingers and it's a way of connecting. Or um, my older son who struggles with some anxieties, he, you know, I drop him off at school. He's he's got he's racked with anxieties and worries and he's asking me questions about, you know, are things going to be okay? Blah, blah, blah. And as I'm driving away in the, in the parking lot, I look back and he can wiggle his fingers at me and I can give him one last piece of reassurance as I drive by. And so the secret handshake can be used in so many ways and it is less than 10 seconds worth of daily connections that then last a lifetime. Yeah. You know, so that's, a, that's a one that is a really good one. But the one that I'm going to state out loud, because it'll help me get back into the practice of it myself, is thinking about them when they're not around. And 
This one is bizarre because when it's done regularly, it has an impact and an effect that you wouldn't expect because, wait, they're not around. (laughs) So what is that going to do? But I had this experience years ago. You know, I'm working as a psychologist and a lot of psychologists, I think if you're a good practitioner, you have supervision, you work with someone else, you work with another colleague or to, to, you know, kind of bounce ideas off of, check things. And I had this realization or this insight that if I brought a case that I was challenged with to my supervisor and we spent an hour in depth talking about the client and the, the, the struggles, whatever, the next session, even if I didn't do anything that we had talked about, was there was a shift in the work. And whether that's energetic, whether that's coincidence, I don't know. But it happened enough that I really have seen this. And so then in using it in this way, thinking about your kids when they're not around, the same thing happens, right? It's not a time to think about you know, when they were a pain in the butt this morning or the struggles or the worries or any of those things. It's a time to really take a moment, take three minutes and just appreciate your kids. And what I always tell people is if you cannot appreciate your kids for three minutes, please call me because we have other work. (laughs) Yeah, we've got Um, a lot of work to do. (laughs) Exactly. But, but if you can spend three minutes to just appreciate and, and, and think about the things and it does, you know, if right now they're in a stage where they're being pains in the butts, fine. Think about when they were infants, you know, it doesn't matter. Think about your kids and the fact that they're in your life and engender some warmth, whether that's gratitude or, or whatever, but engender some warmth in your thoughts. It will change the way you interact with them when you get home, when you see them next, when you, you know, it, it's essentially in the, in the, the narrative therapy way of thinking about it is you are building a different story about th- that you hold for your kids than one that just comes naturally, which might be I'm annoyed or they were late or, you know, whatever it is, even if it's positive, right? Like, even if it was, ah, oh, he's a good kid. But if you think intentionally you're building and telling yourself a story about your kids that becomes reality. It becomes this sort of like, you're going to act in that way. Right. You know, I I've shared with guys who question this or had a struggle with this, where I've said, you know what, I want you to think for the next five minutes in my office, you know, in therapy, I might say, all right, I'm just putting it on the clock for five minutes. And I want you to think negative thoughts about me. And so for five minutes, I'll have a client like, and this isn't therapy. I'll have them think he talks too much or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And after five minutes, I'll say, how do you feel about me right now? And this could be a client I've known for years. And they're kind of like, not so much. Our thoughts and our stories impact our reality. And so if we do this practice every single day, it will impact the way that we interact and react to our kids. So it's it's a it's a powerful one that doesn't even need them to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And and it really reminds me of that stoic practice of imagining the time or a situation in the future where your kids aren't around. And or or maybe, you know, and and then you can actually really sort of engender that feeling of of gratitude because you're like, man, I actually I would miss them so much. And then you feel like, oh, but I've got this opportunity right now. 
and it enables you to sort of really embrace it and and sort of squeeze the juice out of it, so to speak, while they're here. And and you know, people we we naturally pick up on that that sort of feeling that someone gives off when when they genuinely want us to be around and they're paying attention to us. I think those those sort of practices are brilliant. So thinking about them when they're not around, like like you say, in a positive way, it's just going to set you up to to receive them in 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 such a positive way when they walk through the door, isn't it? Absolutely, and it it it, it is a powerful thing. So you know, like I said, you've you're you're bearing witness. I'm going to start doing it a little bit again. I've let that practice stop for a while. <laughs> One of the things <laughs> that I thought of when you mentioned the secret handshake, I just sort of imagined being like an eighty year old guy. And imagine like giving a secret handshake to one of my children that are, I don't know, 50 or something like that, 48 or something. When you're that old, it'd be, it'd be pretty cool actually to still have a secret handshake rather than, you know, it can be, it can seem a bit sort of when, when you, you all age, like maybe you, you, you draw apart, I guess, as a natural sort of, I guess, what would you call it? Like a entropy, but, but, um, but if you, if you've constantly got that connection that you've been committing to throughout your life, it can only bring you closer together. Absolutely. In fact, I have a handshake with my father that he taught my sons. Ah, cool. And he's at this point in his late seventies and he, it's the same one. And, and we did it for years as, as a kid. And, and, you know, he, I watched him teaching my boys and it, it was lovely, you know, and, and that level of connection is pretty pretty powerful it's palpable yeah now Mm -hmm. you talked about well you talk a lot about journeymen and journeys but on our last chat i completely forgot to ask you about one of your favorite journeys that you've had with your family Mm. it's interesting because i take the concept of journeys and turn it on its head right like i could answer you like the times we went on a big adventure but that wouldn't be in line with what I like to teach. And so, yes, we do that. So I have two things that come to mind. The first is not a journey specifically, but the way that we look at what we do together as a family. So even if we're going to go off and like Sunday, right? Last Sunday, uh, this past weekend, it was my, my older son's 15th birthday. And so on Sunday, we all went snowboarding together for half a day, not, not very long. And we get in the car, and as we're driving down the driveway, and this happens almost every time as a family, we're about to go do something that is, you know, a little out of the normal. We say, uh, family adventure number 4,372, and the number is different every time. And, and we all say that, like, and, and it's kind of funny because we all say different numbers and we all, whatever. But it's this, it's this mindset, right? Like, we're going to do, do something this is our journey today. This is what we're doing. And so anything like that can be a favorite journey. But to answer your question more directly, is um, it's a mix of a big adventure and a routine or, or a ritual, which is every summer we go camping. We try to camp a lot. And most camping trips, we invite friends and things like that. But every summer, we go camping for a more extended period of time, usually five to seven days or something like that. And friends are not invited. It's just the four of us. And it's really a reset for all of us. Like we, you know, life goes on and we get in the way and we're all doing things and we're all running and, you know, racing together, you know, but to have 
that period of time, similar to New Year's, we're talking about extended periods of time, but to have that period of time with no wake up, no schedule, no bedtime, we relax around the campfire or we go for a hike, but we do it together. And we all have our roles. I'm the cook. My kids get the fire going. Like, you know, my wife's got her job. And like, it's experiential and different every time. And it's expected and the same every time. And to me, that is, that's, you know, some, some years we aren't able to do that because of one or one reason or another. And I feel it for months when we don't do it. Yeah. And it, it is, it is a really powerful journey for us. And I think there's magic in in there just being you as a family unit, because, I mean, we go away camping as well, New Year's with with um, other families, and it's ace. Love it. That's our ritual around Christmas and New Year. Um, however, when we nice. and and that's brilliant because all the kids are are off together and they're going off in different adventures, and and we as uh, parents can get together and do cool stuff as well. But I think there's a real benefit, like you say, on that flip side of when it's just you as a family unit. And there's no other distractions because if friends come along, you don't actually really hang out with the kids. They're off and they're they're over there. Whereas when you when you're that sort of family unit with no other distractions and chores, like when you're actually at home, that's great because that's when you can actually spend real time with them. You know, just go for a wander, walk along the beach, climb some trees, or you know, whatever. It's yeah, it's magic. Absolutely. And we, we bring games. I mean, some of the best times are when it rains and we just hang out at a tent playing board games together. And yeah, you know, those are in many ways, that's the definition of journey in the way that I love it. And you're right. There's no distractions. We just get to be together and realize that there's space for all of us in our family unit. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) One of the things I wanted to ask you about was because you did touch on foundations and I was wondering if you can talk about the importance of consistency and reliability when we build these foundations. Before I even get into that, I was smiling about consistency because a motto or a saying that I've used for years is I want us to be inconsistently consistent and consistently inconsistent (laughs) (laughs) now in practice that's not always the best way to do it but i think it's it 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 gets us all to stretch a little bit but (laughs) joking aside you know consistency and reliability are absolutely they're, they're very essential especially in the beginning right it is in many ways i i compare it to learning an art of any kind, a martial art, painting, music, it doesn't matter. But any art that you learn, you have to learn the strokes first and you have to practice those reliably, consistently. You have to get them in so that you can let go of them completely when you can, right? And I think in building foundations, it's very similar, right? Um, I tell, I tell a lot of the guys I work with when we're starting a new thing, I really want you to do it come hell or high water, right? They, they hear that phrase all the time. Like, I'm not asking you to do anything that is so out of the blue or so time consuming that is impossible, which means that if you don't do it, we have other things to talk about and that's okay. You know, it's not a shaming thing, but it is this idea of like, we are going to get the most out of this. If the thing you said you're going to do, you do every day. 
You know, you do it consistently. You do it reliably. What this does is it says to yourself, it's, it builds a story. It says to your family, I'm here for this. I'm going, I'm committed to this. I I'm, I'm creating a muscle memory, right? And it's creating the basis to your new story, to your development of, oh, I, when this happens, I, this is how it works and this is what it does. We're building new trails of experience that you can walk on. And eventually, you know, you can walk with much more ease, right? When you're building a trail and you're bushwhacking, you got to watch every step. You might fall down. But when there's a trail that's really laid beautifully, you can stroll and you can, you know, you can go at your own pace and you can switch it up a little bit. You can go off path and then you can get back on. But you need the reliability and consistency at first to build the path. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And I think there's something about when we are trying to grow in a certain direction, it's almost like the the reality that we're living now, that's our default. And we need and, – and we want a new reality. So we've got this other idea of what we want to – how we want to show up and act in the world. But – I feel like it's almost like we need to prove to ourselves with daily commitment so that we can actually prove that it's possible to move to that place. It's almost like there's a part of us that doesn't believe that we can get there or doesn't want to go there. And until you actually go, mm-hmm. right, I commit to this and I'm doing it every day, it's like providing evidence daily, like little chunks of evidence towards oh man, we are actually walking towards, we're walking in this direction. Oh, we're doing this. And it's almost like you can start to believe that you're, you're moving in that direction. Whereas when you're sporadic or ad hoc, there's, there's that sort of, oh no, it's just a intermittent thing. It's going to go away. And I think the, the, the sort of the, the, the self lags behind and doesn't really believe that it can become that, that new thing. And so I think that daily commitment is, is magic for for actually getting to where you want to be and and when it oh 100 yeah when you talk about it in this sense it's like yeah i want to be that person that shows up for my family and i'm committed to it i'm going to show up every day and there's real power in that oh absolutely i don't remember in our first conversation did i share the story of the difference between the well-worn path and the bushwhacking i'm a big hiker i like to hike and and you know when you pull up to a parking lot at a, at a trailhead. And I don't know if they're similar where you are, but this is typical of, of a Vermont trailhead. You know, you'll pull up right by the trail. There's a little sign that has maybe maps or warnings or, you know, like ticks in the area or whatever it's going to be. And then you, you hike up, maybe a log in, you know, a, a little log, right? So the story goes, right? You, you, or not the story, but the example goes, you pull up, to this trail. You're excited. You've got your, you know, hiking shoes on, you're ready to go. And as you go, you go to, to sign in and you notice on the board, there's a big sign all in red letters that says, beware, this trail leads to danger, destruction, and certain annihilation. <laughs> annihilation. Right. Exactly. And you see that you're obviously taken aback. But you look around and clearly this trail is well-worn. There's footprints. Unfortunately, there's a Gatorade bottle and a cigarette butt and a granola bar wrapper, right? Like clearly people use this trail. But you're taken aback because the sign is like pretty, pretty staunch, right? And as you step back, you notice on the other side of the parking lot, there's a little stick in the ground with another little sign, but it's little. So you 
all right, I'm not sure what to do. So you walk up to that sign, right? And you walk up to that sign and that sign says, beyond lays, lies beauty, treasure, and, and, and wonderful, you know, wonderfulness, wonder. And now you're stuck because you're looking at it in this sign, beyond the sign, there's no trail whatsoever. It's actually in a bunch of poison ivy and bracken and thorns and, you know, all these kind of things. And I ask guys, what do you do? You know, so that's your experience. What do you do? So I'll ask you, what, what do you, what do you think you'd do? <laughs> get ready to get scratched by thorns and, and start weed whacking. And that's what most people say. What I'm going to tell you is more than likely, if the, even if that's your intention, most of us go the well word. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. Uh, so I, I I totally. I reckon you you're right. You would. You'd go. Ah, oh, yeah, but it's pain in the ass. It's gonna. You know, we we might get lost. Yeah, there's no no we'll one goes. To, the other ones yeah. try. Yeah, there's. It must be safe. Maybe there's some mistake with the the, the notice or something. Yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah. we have all of the rationales. A system two. A system this. two would go. Exactly. Oh yeah, let's go for this. But really, there's there's that system one going. Nah, let's follow the path because more people have been down there. It's easy. Exactly. And here, so here's the thing, right? Even neurologically, like you were saying, like we, we, there's a part of you, you were saying before about consistency, there's a part of us that doesn't believe that we can change until we actually do it committedly, whatever, you know, consistently. Neurologically, we actually are, are, it makes sense. Like neurologically, we are wired that we are going to go down the well-worn path, even if we know it leads to destruction. Like it's just because we will choose the easier path, not because we're lazy or anything like that, but, but we, our brains are always looking for shortcuts and we're always looking for rationales and we're always trying to go, well, I can turn around, I can handle it, uh, you know, all of those things. But if we go and we do the bushwhacking and we do that, you know, we, A, we need to have the right tools, right? We got to have a map and compass. We have to have long pants or else we're going to get cut up. We have to, you know, have the right mindset. We have to have this. But the coolest piece is if we do that over and over, we make a new well-worn path. Yeah. Yep. You know, and then the other piece, which, which makes this metaphor really strong is that, if you've ever seen, you know, overgrown trails, they never fully go away. They're, they, they, you know, trails can become almost a scar on, 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 in the landscape, but they get overgrown. They get, you know, and so here's the thing. Like if we are really committed to walking a new path and we bushwhack enough that we've got a new path, if we are tired and overwhelmed and, you know, stressed and anxious and sick or tired or whatever, there's a tendency we're going to move back to this other path. And so it's this level of like, we have to be consistent. We have to be reliable because we have to continue building these new pathways. And that's our constant growth. We, we will grow for our entire lives as fathers, as men. And if we choose it and we do it intentionally, we're always making new trails. We're always enjoying like new views and new experiences. And we are aware of these well-worn paths. And every once in a while, we might toy with them a little dangerously, <laughs> but intentionally. And, and if we can up that intentionality and that consistency, think about how many new sites we get to see and how many new experiences we get to share with our kids. Yeah, we start to... Have, build the value that we 
believe in ourselves and, and we can actually explore new terrain in a in a safe way yes. because we're we're capable we can handle adversity because we know we've done it before several times and you know we've we've managed to overcome yes. things and i think that's such an important wow. muscle to you know build and stretch and 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 rely upon yeah we can do hard things <laughs> we can it's just that our default is be let's sit on the couch and eat doritos watching tv <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I just finished a cohort today of the journeyman program. And one of the things that we were talking a little bit about some of the, the hidden treasures that they found along the way. And one of the guys said, which was wonderful because it's part of my agenda, frankly, is this idea that learning and happiness and contentment and presence all came from the most challenging moments, not the most easy moments. Yeah. I could one, I love that. 100%. In fact, it was Dr. Adam Fraser when, when we were discussing in a recent chat about the things that you're most proud of. And the majority of people are the most proud of things that have been the hardest in their lives. The, the most growth that you ever experienced genu- uh, generally has come from something that was actually seemed impossible or seemed incredibly hard that no one else would even try. And when you look back, like that's something that you're really proud of. And, you know, we're not proud of binge watching TV late until the night and not getting sleep. <laughs> but if we think back to what we're most proud of, it was something that probably terrified us to start with. I mean, I, I, I can certainly remember several examples of, of like the, the hardest things. Those are definitely the things I'm most proud of. Absolutely. And, and it's, it is a truism that when people hear, they go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But we forget it on the daily basis, right? We forget it when it's sort of like things are going well. I'm not going to rock the boat, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. all right, I'm not going to, you know, and it is so important to recognize, um, I recently just wrote an article around happiness and that, you know, we think of happiness or, or any of this, like pride or any of this as an, as a noun, as a thing to achieve, but it really is something that occurs throughout the entire process usually when we're most challenged and most scared and most, you know, like troubled. <laughs> right. And, and so it's, it's something that comes along the way. It's the process of rather than a final, you know, product. Yeah. It's not a destination. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to ask about some of your, your groups with the guys that you work with and so on. Like what patterns do you generally notice about, these these groups that you run are there, sim- are there sim- any sort in, of simi- similarities yeah mm. you know it's interesting because there definitely are and and what's lovely and fascinating is that by definition i actually one of the differences or one of the things that is important about our group about the journeyman group is each of the guys has their own goal. I go over, I meet with them individually. They set a goal. It's not like an anger group or a, you know, a, a, a stress group or a, you know, it's, it's very, you know, Bespoke. mixed around yeah. what guys are doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's an individualized bespoke group, which is interesting. Right. And so the, the thing that I notice is that as guys are talking about the things they are working on, Every other guy is nodding along. And so, you know, one of the patterns is the the commonality of 
the many different things that guys are doing. So for example, I know, and this is, this is something that I would say as a, a blanket statement is guys want to do better. They want to do better and be better. They, they recognize it. They may not know in an astute, explicit way, like what's going on or what's wrong, but most guys, if they stop to think about it, will recognize like something's not right. Like I'm not, in the right space or I'm not doing it the way I'd like, or it's not satisfying or meaningful in the way that I think it kind of could be. Right. So that's the first thing that I see with so many guys. And, you know, maybe it's the guys that seek out my work, which is something that's important to think about, but they, these are guys who are recognizing that there is, there's more to this. And I think that's a great place to start. The second thing that I think has really been poignant and and especially important is almost all of these guys, I work predominantly with fathers, but all of these guys, no matter what challenges they bring or things they want to work on, want to have a closer relationship and a more, a stronger connection with their kids and their partners. They recognize like, oh, no matter what I do, maybe I'm missing something or it's not about bringing home the paycheck if my kids aren't talking to me, or I recognize that if I'm playing a game with the kids and I'm on my phone, something's wrong. Or, you know, like many of the clients that come to my groups want to have a presence and a sort of centeredness when they're with their kids and their partners. And and, and that's a big one. That's, That's one that I hear a lot about. I think, you know, guys are they want to have more fun at home they want to have more meaning and in terms of like we've got these romanticized visions of what home life is (laughs) um and yet the interesting thing is my message to them often is well that's not real and it's real let's let's find it you know like (laughs) so what are the steps because i mean these are you've you've touched on some some core commonalities between guys i love the guys i chat with have the same sort of ideas about what they want and how they want to show up in the world like is it just like this track you know the majority of us are just you know we're in the default sort of highway lane surrounded by cigarette butts and gatorade bottles when when really Mm. we do need to be intentional we need to sort of define what we really want and commit to following it like what what are the steps Oh, wow. There's there's a lot of ways I can answer this question, so I'll start from the high level. <laughs> it sounds like right? six months of therapy, to be honest. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, it's a three-month <laughs> intensive program. And so, you know, certainly it is uh, – there's a lot of work to do. I've got three phases to the program. And so phase, phase one – and actually, there's a fourth that is um, more subtle. But three phases are training, testing, helling. The fourth is tending and we'll get to that. But so in the training phase, there are pieces built out around what do we need to know? Like, what are the things that we need to learn and know in order to be on this journey? Right. So we're training. We're, you know, uh, in a hero's journey way of thinking, like we're learning swordplay. We're learning how to read a map. We're, you know, and what that looks like is learning about our own obstacles. Right. Learning about our own values making a commitment 
and being aware of what we want, right? These are the main things that happen in the training phase. So I might make a commitment to my family and share that commitment. And let's say like, hey, I'm going on, I'm, I'm joining this adventure wholeheartedly and I'm going to meet with these guys who are going to support me to do this. And this is what I'm going for, right? So that's a commitment. And that in and of itself is a lot of work. A lot of guys have never thought that way. And so that's step one. Step two, I've mentioned, I think we talked about imps. Yep. You know, we talked about like the struggles and the obstacles. So really doing a deep dive into imp work, the obstacles and the challenges and the patterns that get in the way of our commitment of what we want. Right. And then the next one is values, right? Like creating a values compass, right? Like what is our compass? And without that compass, we're going to get lost on that trail. If we bushwhack, we, we, we need to have our values that yeah. are present. So we know which way to go. So that's the training portion. The testing portion is sort of we're testing our metal, we're testing it out. And so there are lots of different kind of frameworks and practices here, but ultimately it's about saying for a short period of time, I'm going to commit every day to a particular action that moves me forward in the process of finding this treasure and this goal. And so we talk a little, we do a lot of work on what could that be, right? So what is my goal? What, do I, what am I looking for at the end of this, this process? And then what are my values? And now values can be really big and, and general and like, ooh, I see, I love the world. I, I <laughs> save the environment, you know? But I push people to think about, like we said earlier, the smallest unit of value. So when I think about my core values, what is the smallest action I can take every day that would be an expression of that value? Yeah. Right. And so now we have many values because I'm using a compass metaphor. I have them pick four. Right. And so the idea is I have my goal. I have the treasure I'm looking for, you know, to have more fun time with my kids at night. I don't know. We use that as an example. I know my imp. The obstacle that gets in the way for that might be my impatience or my mobile you know, phone. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. My phone, you know, all these kinds of things. And what I actually, that's a good one because people have said that. And I challenge guys to go even deeper because it's not the phone. There's something in me that needs the phone. Mm, yeah. Right. So the challenge isn't the phone. The challenge is the thing that has me drawn to it all the time. And yeah. so we go even deeper to that. So that is, so, so yeah, the goal is to be, have more fun with the kids. The imps are either, you know, impatience or, or, need, whatever that is, the values, I have them pick four values that are direct, like related to the goal, not any, just any, right? Like if I want to have more time with the kids, am I going to pick environmentalism as a, as a value? Even if it's a big value for me, maybe not the appropriate one for my compass. Yeah. So we pick four that are right for the compass. And then in the testing phase, what is an action that would be a direct expression of these four values that would bring you in the path to, 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 to your goal? And throughout the testing phase, there's a lot of practices of how do we do that? Let's do it every day. And there's a whole reflection process that I teach people about, you know, how do we look at what's happening or not happening and, you know, adjust in motion and, and figure out where I want to go, get back on the path, that kind of thing. And then towards the end of the testing phase, using reflection, we start to make meaning of that. Like, well, what is it? You know, my favorite question is, well, what does it say about you 
as a father, a partner, or a man, that you've chosen to do this for a month or so? What does it say about what's important to you? What does it say about what is meaningful and, and, and you know, valuable to you in your everyday, right? And so now we've got some meaning making, which is like a core piece of change. And then we go into the telling phase. And the telling phase, back to our narrative and storytelling and things like that, if we tell stories of ourselves, even just to ourselves, we change and, are, and we evolve. And so I have them share stories of this work, of the testing work in the group. I have them share it to themselves. I actually have recorded, basically I have them interview themselves and their imps side by side. And, and so they're sharing the stories with themselves and with their imps. And then ultimately sharing it with their partners and their families in a way that's that that is you know appropriate. I have guys basically in the telling phase as they tell the meaningful stories, they create what I call an up leveled character, where they would literally enrobe and embody this up level character in a way that they can continue the adventure and the journey and they can they can choose when to use it or when not to use it and they can call on the imp to help them as one of their you know one of their clan or their council or whatever metaphor they're going to use and so then this up-level character allows them to really remember everything they've got their they've literally got a compass that you know i have them print out something and put it on their phone you know all of these things and so now we're reminded of this fatherhood journey this foundational adventure that allows men and fathers to make better choices in the everyday and to grow their character right their character development becomes really essential and then they're sharing it with their families and seeing how how it resonates and getting this feedback the beautiful thing is most often at this point in the journey, just like all stories are cyclical, and in many adventures, the treasure you get on one adventure is kind of the key that you use in the next, <laughs> Yeah. right? What happens is at this point in the adventure during the telling, there's sort of two ways to do it. They can end, they can continue to work the consistency and work on that particular goal and treasure, and or new imps and new challenges show up and they're back to the training phases. Like, all right, where am I going to go now? And what can I do now? And how can that work? And so in that way, we're constantly journeying and adventuring and growing. And it's a commitment to that that really makes change. Yeah. So I, that may be more than what no, you asked for. That, that, that's, there's so many trailheads to go off, Dan. But what I love about it, it sounds just like the, the engineering design process. You know, literally, you're, you're looking at it with a solutions focus, knowing that you're going to get to a much better place than you are right now because there is a process to go through. You, you come up with your, your sort of idea. You do research. You figure things out for what you actually want. You, you study. And then, then you, you've got a few ideas and you, you come up with a, a prototype and you give that a whirl and you figure out what doesn't work, what you tweak it. You, you make another one. You might go through like six or seven iterations and then you go, right, we've got some feedback. And then, okay, next phase, let's make the, uh, you know, we've done some testing. Now let's, let's go on to making a version that we think is actually going to achieve the the goal uh, but then you can go back to the start again after you've used it for some time and i, I love the idea that it's a process but it's a never-ending process and you can keep cycling through it knowing that it is like and it comes back to the whole idea it's a journey and it's not yeah. just there's no finished there's no finished result there isn't like the standing on the top of the mountain you've achieved 
everything you wanted to. It's like, oh no, we got to this place and now we're next. Let's go on to the next the next place. It's inspiring to know and expect that you're going to keep moving through this journey and keep picking up treasures along the way and and meeting new people and and I also love the idea of bringing along your imp as a as a as a traveling companion and, and not actually looking on him or her as as like someone who's really getting in your way but like hey come on let's let's we're on this journey together so we may as well get along you know <laughs> I think there's there's magic in that as well that's actually one of the challenge one of the most challenging pieces but it's very true like we especially in Western culture, we have found that things that are problems should be cut out, killed, banished from the kingdom. You know, that's in many ways, that's the core of the medical model. <laughs> yeah. 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 But these imps, you know, in, in years of doing this with guys, the truth of the matter is, and I haven't, I, I'm sure there are exceptions, but I haven't found one yet. But if we truly interview our imps with a curiosity, many of them will say, I don't understand. I'm here to help you. Yeah. I got your best interest in mind. Yeah. Because where they came from, their history, they the things that they do to be obstacles now were actually supportive and and safety producing when we were younger, when we were, you know, and they're just going, I'm using the same tools I've always used. So we have an opportunity to evolve a relationship with them. And that's the beauty. That is like, you know, we don't have to use the cut out, kill, or banish from the kingdom. We can train them. We can tame them. We can invite them to our council. We can, you know, empower them. There's so many ways that we can do it once we realize, like, wait a minute. They're screwing stuff up, but they really do have our best interests in mind. We just have to show them the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful because then it's it's like parts work, isn't it? You know, you, you sort of recognize yes. that that thing was useful at a certain point in time. But if you can actually appreciate it and, you know, even say to it, I appreciate where you come from. Really, you know, that was really useful when I was six or seven or whatever it was. You don't need to do that now because I'm here. And when we're going off in this direction and it, the, the the part goes, oh, well, that's cool. And and if you're demonstrating that you mean what you're saying as well, it's like, oh, great, I can relax. Yes. And all of important. a sudden you're sort of reintegrating that part into you and and, and it it's it's you know, it's it's coming along for the ride in many ways, not just, you know, like figuratively. But um yes. yeah, I, I think it's it's amazing stuff. It really is, because it, it really it's such a useful process to go through. And it does work. Like th this stuff is, <laughs> it it is so effective. And I think when we when we really, I, I don't know what happens, but there's this malaise that builds up. I, I think it is. It's like entropy. If you don't tend like yourself, you you end up with all this like incrustations on top that are sort of covering up. Or get, I guess it's like the bush analogy. You know, the weeds start growing over your true values. And you have to yeah. constantly be moving aside the bushes, pulling the grass back and clearing the true path to get to your core values on a constant a constant basis. You, you can't relax on this stuff. But in the sense, it's not it's not that it's hard work. You just have to keep keep pulling the weeds back to see, yeah, what are my what are the characteristics of of who I really want to be and just keep doing the work. And it, it shouldn't be yeah. seen as hard work. It's just work that's really fulfilling. And I think that there is no better better work out there. It's the best job in the world. <laughs> 
A hundred percent. And you're right. Like I can see people thinking like, well, wait, I have to work forever, blah, blah, blah. And it's just a, it's a, it's a radical shift in, in narrative and story and, and in active where, you know, it isn't about, and this comes from, we've talked a little about a hero's journey and whatnot, but it comes from this whole thing of like, I'm going to go on an adventure. I'm going to get to the top of the mountain. I'm going to find the treasure and I'm going to be good. Right. <laughs> like 18, you know, kids, teenagers who I work with are like, I'm going to start getting up on time when I'm 18. Yeah. As if like being an adult happens overnight. Right. Or, or whatever it is. But, but the other way to look at it is if this is something that one commits to, not that it's work every day to be doing, but rather is we're treasure hunting all the time. Yeah. You know, like, like this is stuff that is joyful and the, and the rewards which happen again, like we said, even in the muck, even in the challenge, they're beautiful, right? Yeah. They're, they're a wonderful, beautiful thing. Um, I, I, I just a, a quick anecdote. Like I had been, I had discovered and my wife talked to me about it. I had been really short and, and sort of irritable with my older son for a while. So I actually put myself through some of this journeyman model and I was like, all right, let me work on it. Let me figure it out. And I did these things. And and for about a week, I was like patting myself on the back, like I'm doing good, I'm whatever. And I came upstairs from work one one evening and like my kid was doing something and I snapped at him and he looked at me. I mean, he's very mature and he's the kid of a psychologist. And he looked at me and he says, something going on, you know, Papa, you, you've been really, ir- this whole week, you've been really irritable with me. And which all of my flags went and I started to get defensive because my thought was like, wait a minute, I've been working on this, you know, darn it. Like I, you didn't even notice what, and I was ready to start lecturing him on no, on stories. Like, wait a minute. I, I know I've been really irritable. So that's been your story of me, but this week, I haven't been, and you haven't let go of the story. But then I realized, like, that's not going to do a darn thing, right? And so all it was was me not listening to him and me disregarding his version of reality. So I had to stop, step back, do the work. And I came back to him and I said, listen, I wasn't aware that I've, that, that I've been so irritable to you for this week. I actually feel like I have been working on it. And if it's not coming through, I am so sorry. How about this? How about every night for the next two weeks, I'm going to ask you how I've been doing. So we don't go for a week with you thinking something's up and I think I'm doing great. Every night I'm going to ask you, like, how do I do tonight? Because it's really important to me that 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 I'm not irritable and that we're connecting. And it, it's that's that's one of my most important things. So can I do that? And he was like, sure. And he looked at me weird because it's not typical. <laughs> And I'm hearing maybe men listening to this right now kind of looking at me weird because it's not typical. <laughs> hey, weird is good. But it was the most wonderful thing because every night I asked him and he gave me good feedback and he and, and it brought us together in a way that gave us not as father and son, but as two humans who care about each other, ways to connect and a permission to be open in a way that hadn't happened, you know, a week before that. That's amazing. That's so good. Because it's so easy to just assume, isn't it, that they must see what I'm doing. You know, they, they, right. they must know this. It's obvious. It's patently obvious. I'm doing all these things. Why, you know, why wouldn't they notice? And we, we don't express them. We don't say them or sit down and actually go through it. So why should we make that assumption? We really need to focus on not being expecting what's reasonable 
to to be you know noticed and just maybe figure out reality like what is actually what are they actually seeing and just by asking them so yeah. i'm going to take that on board totally jason i'm totally going to do that this week <laughs> awesome <laughs> no thank you so much that's great let me know i will i will this is this is awesome this has been so good to catch up again jason you've got so much insight and ideas and and food for thought so really appreciate the work you're doing to help so many so thank you Oh, goodness. It's always really, it's been wonderful. Always. I I think you and I have such great conversations and it, it selfishly, it really helps me even think it through in a different way. And so I, I I learn a lot from our conversations and so, and I'm the one talking a lot, you know, so I really, um, I, 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 I so appreciate it. I'm really grateful to our connection and thank you. Well, thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Jason Frischman, check out the show notes at thedadmindset.com, where you can also subscribe to the Dad Mindset newsletter that complements the show and doubles to remind you when the next episode is hot off the press. Also, if you have someone that you care about, whatever you do, don't share this with them. Anyway, I hope you have a great week and as ever, enjoy your caffeinated beverage.